You're listening to a message from Southview Church, located right outside of Nashville and Spring Hill, Tennessee. Now here's our featured sermon of the week. Today, we want to continue our study in the book of James. Now, the letter of James was written to the body of Christ. It was written by James, otherwise known as Jacob, otherwise known as James the Just, otherwise known as James the half-brother of Jesus. Come on, I would lead with that one. I'd put that on my resume. Hopefully get any job I apply for. I'm the half-brother of Jesus. You know Jesus, the Savior of the world? Yeah, I got a little bit of blood in my, me like him. Like, can you imagine how that would go down? He had the pressure, but he had the revelation. And although he didn't believe Jesus when Jesus was alive, at his resurrection, he believed and he transformed the church. And he was instrumental in being a pillar of the church of Jerusalem. Now, there's things that he's teaching us that are going to be the ouchies. Any parents know what I'm talking about? The ouchies, right? How many, go through, how many parents go through Band-Aids like water in your house, right, for the mysterious illness? That's us. We invest in Band-Aids. And, uh, and, and it's the ouchies. It's the things that don't kill us but bother us. James is speaking into your life, and he's causing the ouchies in your life. I don't know where this is coming from. The reality is, as many of us, we complain about trials and tribulations, but James is saying there's beauty in it there's beauty this letter is so beautiful so today we're going to continue our reflection and response we're going to reflect on the word and we're going to respond to the word how many know it's not just one thing to read the word it's another thing to respond to the word so if you have your bibles go to james 2 and if you have your devices you can go to james 2 and dial up esv that's the translation we're reading from the english standard version you can follow along with me today. We're going to read the whole chapter. Is that okay, church? Is that all right to read the word in church today? Okay, I just want to make sure maybe some of you are used to one verse. We're going to do a lot of verses. Here we go. We're going to release the power of the word of God in this place today. Chapter 2, verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothes and say hey you sit over here in a good place while you say to the poor man you stand over there or sit down at my feet have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts listen my beloved brothers has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which has, he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man and not the rich man, the one who oppresses you. Are not the rich man the one who oppresses you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really want to fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, and you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who says, do not commit adultery, also says, do not murder. But if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. But listen to this. But mercy triumphs over judgment. Verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? 
If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them and things that needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and they shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active among with him along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see, that person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Today, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that what James wrote is still applicable today in 2023. May we have ears to hear the power of the word and may it radically transform our lives. We thank you for this city. Lord, we begin to declare your prosperity and protection over this city. We thank you for Mayor Jim Hageman. We thank you, Lord, that he loves you and he serves you and he seeks you. God, would you give him wisdom and counsel, Lord, as he begins to make decisions for this city. Lord, would you begin to give him enlightenment and wisdom that he would be able to navigate the trials and the things coming our way that we can see this city become a beacon of hope to all the remaining places around us. We thank you for Franklin and Thompson Station and Columbia. May your spirit abide in them and the leaders that rule over them. And we thank you, Lord, that you are having your way in Middle Tennessee. In Jesus' name, would you shout amen? Amen. 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 What is the overall theme today we're going to talk about? It comes in James chapter 2, verse 26. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Now, isn't it amazing, that scripture that we're reading today, how God planned us to be in James 2, and it just so happened that another man quoted James 2 on Monday. I want you to put this image up on the screen. This is our Philadelphia Eagles quarterback, Jalen Hurts. And as he was interviewed, this is not funny, this is real, this is serious, don't mock the spirit. As he was quoted on Monday, he said, I knew I was going through it for a reason. I really believe that, and that's why I doubled down. Faith, look at this, come on. Faith without works is dead. So I had a lot of faith, and I put in a lot of work, and I never stopped believing in myself and believing what I could be. Ladies and gentlemen, if that is not a declaration of faith, today we just declare that the Spirit of God is upon this man and upon this team in Jesus' name. Some of you are wondering, would he say anything? All right, let's do this. How many Chiefs fans? Just raise your hand if you're a Chief fan. Okay, good. Extend your hands to those people. Lord, we pray for healing in their life. Heal and deliver them and set them free. All right, I had to get that out. Some of you are wondering, is he going to talk about it? I did it. Back to Scripture. The title of my message is called Fraudulent Faith fraudulent faith. Turn to somebody and say, do you have fraudulent faith? Turn to them right now. Come on, this is one of the things. 
that introverts hate. Fraudulent faith. I'm going to warn you today, we're going to go deep. We're going to go into the Word. We're going to do a teaching today. And I'm going to try to pour a fire hose of Scripture upon you today. But I believe that in, in summary of all of this, this is my plan and my prayer for this church today, is that we would not only be known for the things that we say, but also the things that we do. And somebody who grew up in church, I'm just so tired of hearing the world come against the church and calling us hypocrites when, honestly, the shoe fits many times. But we have an opportunity, Southview, today to flip the script, to change the narrative by walking out what James said, by making sure that we are full of faith, not fraudulent faith. Last week we talked about count it all joy. Today, James, in chapter 2, again, this is a continuation letter. It all bleeds into each other. That joy that we have should be demonstrated in our faith. We should walk it out. I'm tired of being a fraud. I'm tired of people see, seeing the church and going, ah, you're just saying these things. You, you don't really mean it. You don't really love well. You really don't. You talk about love, but you don't really love. And I believe that God's speaking through James for 2023. I believe that the church can flip this and we can change the narrative. But I know this because I talked to a few people after the first service. Somebody came up to me and said, you know, this message messed with me because I'm so, I was grown up in a church environment where it was all about works. And I know I'm speaking to some people in this room where you were told works, works, works. If you're from a Catholic background, like you have to always atone for everything you've done wrong. If you don't do it right, listen, a lot of religions are like that. Buddhists, Hindus, all of these, it's constant works, works, works. But there is an aspect of work in the kingdom. And so maybe you're, you're on the other side where you're like, grace, 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 and grace is good and it's important. Maybe you're like, look, we can just do whatever we want. And you can pull scripture out and back up everything you want to back up with. And here's the interesting thing about it. I don't know if you've been in scripture long enough to know that sometimes scripture looks like it contradicts each other. And this is what people that don't know Jesus will say. Well, it says here in this, and then it says over here this. It says, honor your father and mother. Then Jesus says, unless a man leaves his father. Like, what is happening here? How do, we, how do we do this? And when you begin to learn the depth of who God is, you begin to realize that it's all together. There's actually something God is speaking throughout all of it. This is the only book with so many different authors that all speak the same message. It's virtually impossible for this to happen any other time in history. So let me give you an example. James and Paul. Two patriarchs in the faith. In fact, if we look at the, 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 the scriptures, we see that James, Paul, and Peter were the patriarchs of the early day church. They were friends. But then you have scriptures like this. I want to put it up on the screen here. Romans 3.28. This is what Paul said. He says, we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. But that conflicts with James, what we just read. He said, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Jesus, which one is it? It's both. It's both. There's no contradiction. When you begin to understand God, you begin to see that it's the same thing. In fact, what James is doing here, unbeknownst to us, if we don't know the context, James is actually addressing things that gotten off course by the teaching of Paul. Not that Paul was teaching wrong, but the people were hearing it and beginning to adopt their own doctrine. And James is addressing it in the church. Now, we know that they're friends. They're part of this, this, this council seen in Acts 15. It was the Jerusalem council. 
And so he's addressing this, this theology that's beginning to bubble up in church today. We have it today. It's on both sides. But let me, let's go deeper today. I want to show you in Scripture. We're going to jump around, but I want you to see what God is saying. Romans 5.20, again, Paul. It says, but where sin increased, grace abound all the more. Pause for a moment. When people heard this from Paul, their first inclination and response was, well, if grace abounds, let's keep sinning. Now, we're looking at that, it sounds foolish, but how many know that the church, we still believe that? We still think, like, it's okay to sin because God's mercy and his love covers a multitude of sins. But then he says in Romans 6, verse 1 through 2, he says, what shall we say then? Right after Romans 5 is Romans 6, by the way. Those of you that know numerology, you can see that. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Works are not a means of your salvation. They are the result of it. We are saved by faith and grace alone, but we will be judged by our works. Romans 2, he will render to each one according to his works. Now, this is where it gets kind of scary because some of us in this room are going, oh, dear God, all the things I've done wrong. That's where grace covers. But when we have an encounter with God, there is a response. There's something we're supposed to do. We're supposed to respond. And last week I gave you three words, knowing, believing, and doing. And what I said to you was, you can find your level of maturity by where you find yourself in these three words, knowing, believing, and doing. Put them up on the screen if we could. We go from knowing to truly believing to actively doing. As you mature in your walk with Jesus, you will begin to naturally do things. That's called maturity. And for some of us in this church today, we're just getting to know him. That's okay. That's the first step. Getting to know him. Getting to know his love. Getting to know scripture. But the next step is to truly believe scripture. To not only say, I can quote John 3.16, but I believe it. I believe that God sent his only begotten son into the world, that we would be saved. But then there's a response. That's where we actually go, now it's my job to respond to the good news and to walk it out. I'll give you an example. A wedding ceremony. For those of you that have been married, for those of you that want to get married, you're going to have a wedding ceremony. And it's going to be epic. And you're going to spend a lot of money. And you're going to complain over different kinds of food. And then when you get done the whole night, you'll forget everything about it. You won't even remember what the food tasted about. Because you'll be so in love with the person that you said I do to. That you'll sit back and go, how much did we spend? It didn't matter because my mom and dad took care of it. Anyway, the point of all of it is, that is the first step in a healthy marriage. But it's not the only step. How many know if you just get married and sign the contract, the ceremony, the the certificate, if you sign it, that is not indicative of a healthy marriage. Because now what do you have to do? You have to live it out. So if I said to you, you were to go through a wedding ceremony, but then you had abuse in your marriage, your, your, your spouse cheated on you, they were absent from your marriage, they were absent from the home, and they never said or showed they love you, would you at all good conscience say that you have a marriage? You just have a certificate. And that's what many of us in church do today. We receive the love of Jesus, but we don't change. And we wonder why we can't experience the freedom of Christ because we're not truly being changed. So there is something that happens in the ceremony when you give your life to Jesus. It's the beginning. There is a response to salvation. I want to 
talk about this word we talked about last week called justified, justification. And this is the reason why Paul's letters and James's letters seem so different, yet they are the same thing. I'll give you an example. There's a word rock. We know the word rock, right? We can all say we know what that word means. There's many different meanings to the word rock. Did you know that? It could be a stone. It could be a style of music. It could be emotion. I'm in a rocking chair, right? It could be a compliment. Steve, you rock. It could be a person, the rock, or for those of you older, Rock Hudson. So one word can mean a multiple of things. Let's take the word justified. When Paul uses it in scripture, what he means is he's saying to make right. And for those of you that remember checkbooks, remember checkbooks back in the day? Remember them? You'd actually have to go and do what? Justify the checkbook. You actually had to go and make sure that everything lined up because you couldn't go online and check your balance. So you had to make sure that everything lined up. That's what Paul is saying. James is using justified to mean to prove that something is right. One is to make it right. The other one is to prove that something is right. What he's saying is when you are justified, things begin to prove themselves through you. One of them is made right. One is proven right. Same word, same meaning, different context, different outcomes, but ultimately the same thing. So God justifies us, and the justification is being demonstrated through our actions. Philippians 2.12. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For some of you, you ever read that and think, well, that's a scary scripture. Work it out. What do I have to do? I thought it was already done. The word work means it's continual. So there's this work thing again, right? Like, I got to work on this? I thought the whole point of the gospel was that Jesus paid it all. Don't we sing about that? Jesus paid it all? But there's a partnership. I don't know why God decided when he left heaven or he left earth to go to heaven and he looked at his crazy disciples and he said, you'll do even greater things than I'm doing. I don't know why he decided that he was going to leave all the power and the keys to the kingdom to a bunch of humans. I don't know why he entrusts people like you and me to spread the gospel when sometimes the best thing we can spread is a cold. I don't know why we think sometimes that we feel like we can't do it when all of heaven is counting on us to step into this process of spreading the gospel and working out our salvation. What does this thing fear mean? Because sometimes when I hear fear, I'm thinking it in a negative light. What they're saying, what Paul is saying to the church of Philippi is work out your salvation with respect and reverence to God. And this trembling thing, that's not trembling in fear. That's trembling in awe-inspired humbleness of saying, God, I am not worthy of what you've done for me, but I respect you, I honor you, and I want to do what I can to help spread the gospel. See, works are normal if you have the activating Holy Spirit inside of you. They're normal. If the Holy Spirit who breathed over creation, who hovered over the waters and created what we see, if he is living inside of you, it's natural for things to be demonstrated through you. Jesus is the vine, John 15. We are the branches. Luke 11 says that we as Gentiles have been grafted into the vine. So let me just break it down this way. If you are part of the vine, the vine is Jesus, you've been grafted in, you're the branches, that means that you're going to produce fruit, and the fruit that should be produced from you are fruit that would come from Jesus. That means it's good fruit. It's not rotten fruit. Natural fruit from a vine grafted 
branch is good fruit. So how do you know if you're where you're at with Jesus? Look at the fruit. Look at what's coming out of you. Look what's being squeezed out of you when you go through trials and tribulations. What's the first word that comes out of your mouth? What's the first action step? What's the first thing that you feel like you have to do? Because if it doesn't demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit, then it's the fruit of the world, and it means that there's something God is working in you to bring out this level of maturity so that you can be a demonstration of his finished work. If there's no evident work in your life, then your faith is fraudulent. And I'm telling you today, as a pastor right now, my goal and my hope is that Southview is known as a place of authentic faith. That when we pray, things happen. When we declare scripture, we believe them. When we walk in relationship with one another, we actually love one another and prefer one another over ourselves because that's what scripture says to do. So how do we apply James 2 into the gospel story? Are you with me today? We're going deep. Come on. Turn to somebody and say, I'm still with them. Come on now. Hit them. 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. That means when you turn your life over to Jesus, he's not just your Savior, but he becomes your Lord. He changes the way you do things, and you should no longer be the old creation anymore. If you were a butterfly, you're now a butterfly. You can't go back to becoming a caterpillar. Why would you want to be a caterpillar when you can fly like a butterfly? Just for a moment. Think about that for a moment. Many of us in our walk with God, we're trying to put on the old caterpillar nature when we have been created as a butterfly to fly above the circumstances. That'll preach right there. I would give myself an amen. Anyway, Jesus mentions we all stumble. James mentions we all stumble. This is not an indicative that if you stumble, you're not full of Jesus. He's saying that we're all going to stumble. James 2.18 says, show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one and do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Whoa, whoa, hold on a second. Did you catch that one scripture or that one verse right there? Even the demons believe and shudder. What is he saying? James is breaking something down for us. Listen to this. He's saying demons have a belief system in God. And I'll even say this, that some people have, some demons have better theology than some people in the church do. They actually believe everything that's here. They believe it. And he said this, he said demons shudder because of God. They have a healthy fear of God. What James says is your theology and your fear of God does, is not indicative of your true salvation. Because if that was the case, every demon would be saved. What he's saying is you can have a... Does this not sound like hypocritical churches right here? They have a healthy theology of God. They have a healthy fear of God, but they have no love for God, and they're not obedient to God. That's the difference. So how do we know that we truly are walking in real faith? James says it. Chapter 2, verse 1. You care for people. You actually care for people. It's demonstrated in your actions towards people. You prefer one another over yourself. He gives this analogy of a rich person and a poor person coming into church. And he said, you see somebody dressed well. You're like, hey, hey, why don't you sit up here in the front? Now, it's not just about wealth. It's about prestige. It's really about what that person can give you. How you treat people that can't give you anything is indicative of the true love of God. Because the poor, in this particular case, are people that have nothing to give you in return. 
James says, when you treat people like that, as if they have everything, you're treating them as Christ would treat you. You're treating them the way that is demonstrating of your faith. Your actions are demonstrated through the way you treat people. It also says this, James 1. We talked about this last week. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. That means James is saying your speech should change. There's some four-letter words you shouldn't say anymore. You shouldn't talk about fear and doubt and anger. There should be something different in the way things are communicated through your mouth. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. What? To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. If you want to know if your faith is real, it's where you spend your time with and who and what you do to others is what God is looking for. And when you are truly transformed by God, the natural change is for you to begin to work out these things with others, to be able to walk in unity with one another and actually love each other. Your works towards others is not an indication of your salvation, but it's a byproduct of it. Now, for some of you in this room, that's, that's messing with you because you feel like you have to work for the Lord's love. You don't. You get to work because he loved you. Let me say that again, because that was really good. I feel like I'm encouraging myself up here in the Lord. That's really weird. When you love Jesus, it's a joy to work for him. You're not doing it to earn his love. You're doing it because in response to his love. If you're sitting here claiming to be a Christian and you have no desire to walk it out and no desire to love one another, you're not truly walking in the love of Jesus. And James is saying you could very well have fraudulent faith. Now, if James was here, he wouldn't put it as nice as I did. He'd just call you out because he was so sick and tired of watching people come into the church. Mind you, this is the brand new church. They didn't have the book of James and the letter of James to read. He was writing it. He was writing it in response to the church. And he was saying, I'm watching all of you prefer other people because what they can give you, that's not faith. That's actually believing that they can provide your needs. But when you put your faith in God and you treat people that can't give you anything better, you're actually saying, God, I trust you over people to bless me. That's a level of faith in God. Another thing is a sincere love for God that you respond to his commands. He gives an example of two people and they couldn't be any more different than Abraham and Rahab. Abraham is considered the father of the faith. Rahab is a prostitute who wasn't a Jew. James is very intentional about giving these two people because he knows that the Jews will immediately understand James or Abraham. He was respected. And James says in Genesis 15, 6, he's quoting Genesis 15, 6. He says, he believed the Lord and he counted to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God and 30 years later, God tests him. And you know what he tests him with? Not something that was expendable. Not something that Abraham didn't care about. He tested him with the promise. Now let me pause for a moment. Little side bunny here, side trail, side trail, side bunny, side off ramp, bunny, side bunny trail. There it is. all of that. We need to remember that God will test you with the very thing that he's given you possession of. And the reason why he tests you is because he wants to know, do you trust me over the thing that you've been believing for? I want you to hear me today because some of you feel like, I don't understand why I'm going through the fire. It's because God is refining you 
because he entrusts you. And if he entrusts you with something big, he wants to see you walk it out. Did you know that when Abraham was walking up the mountain to sacrifice his son, some of you say, how could he sacrifice his son? It was common back then to do child sacrifice. It was common. But here's the deal. Many of us, we go, There's, why would God expect him to kill his son? The whole time that Abraham was walking up the mountain, guess what? There was a ram in the thicket. God knew he was looking at Abraham. He said, Abraham, will you honor me and walk with me? Not because I gave you the son you were believing for, but because whatever I ask you to do, you will say yes to. And I'm telling you, that's the next level faith that the church has to have. If we want to see miracles, if we want to see people lined up to receive Jesus and be baptized, we have to walk in a radical faith that says, God, nothing is off limits to you. The very thing I've been believing for is the very thing I'm willing to sacrifice for you because I know that you are good and you're perfect and I know that you're working things out through my faith. Then he uses Rahab. Rahab's a prostitute living in the wall of Jericho. Not a good place to be. Two spies come in, and somehow they connect. And, and Rahab sees it. Now, again, she's a prostitute. She's someone that has been used by people. She's not a mayor. She's not the governor. She's not somebody of prestige. She's lower than low. But God sees her. And they intersect with these Jewish spies. And she says this in Joshua 2.11. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath it. She begins to confess faith in the one true living God. And because of that, she was justified by her works, which were proved, which proved her faith. She took the spies and hid them, risking death. And in her works, her faith was justified. Come on now. Do you have Abraham-like faith today? Church, do you have Rahab-like faith today that no matter what God asks you to do, you're willing to say yes? Even if I have to risk my life, I am willing to say yes. And see, here's the deal. The evidence of true conversion is a big word called sanctification. And I'm going to talk to you about these three big words today. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. And for those of you that don't like big words, I put it in today's terms. Level up, grow up, and glow up. What is justification? I want you to get this. Why do I want to teach you this today? Because I want you to be well educated in the word so you can process this and prepare it so that you can give it to others. Justification, to level up. Jesus brings you to the level of right standing. You've been justified by the death and resurrection of Jesus. He gave you salvation. You couldn't earn it. There's nothing you can do but receive it. You can't die for your sins. Jesus did it. He paid for your past sins, your present sins, and your future sins. He justified you. Say justification. The next word is sanctification. That means it's time to grow up. There has to be a change in you. This is the process of change, that the Holy Spirit's working in you, that he's creating something new in you. There's a work in your partnership with Holy Spirit. What used to control me doesn't control me anymore. That's sanctification. Every one of us in this place is being sanctified. You're going through it. You could call it the fire. You could call it a test. You could call it a trial. You could call it your mother-in-law. Whatever it is, you're being sanctified. I love my mother-in-law. Let the record be known. It's just a joke. You too, Jake. You're being sanctified. You're becoming more like Christ. This is a good word. If we get it, we understand it's time to grow up. If you are a 40-year-old man still drinking a bottle, something's wrong. 
You need to be sanctified. You need to be walking through this process where God is changing you and there's a work happening in you and it's being demonstrated outside of you. And that leads me to the third word, glorification. We means the glow up. That means you are face to face with Jesus. There is no sickness. There is no depression. There is no sin. There is no hurt. There is no brokenness. You are now in right standing with Jesus forevermore and you are living in the presence of God. This is the place that we all desire to be and when you are justified going through sanctification, you will become glorified in glorification. That's the process. And that's what Paul and James and Peter have been talking about. Let me put it another way. Justification means you've been saved from the penalty of sin. Sanctification means you've been freed from the power of sin. And glorification means you've been freed from the presence of sin. And I'm telling you, that's the process. That's what James is saying. All three of these things are important in the process of the gospel and the steps of a man or woman who confesses Jesus. If we take any of those things out of the equation, we don't have the gospel. If we take justification out, that means there is no savior. That means it's all about your works and you become a religious fool. I'm going to earn my way into heaven. No, you didn't earn it. You just receive it. If we take sanctification out, that means there's no true evidence of change. This is the sloppy grace. This means I could do whatever I want. This is hypocrisy that has plagued the church for years. And if we take glorification out, then what is the hope? What is this unto? See, every one of these steps is an active step in your life. And when we begin to understand what James is saying, we begin to walk this out. Now it's a joy to have works. Hmm. I'll give you another marriage example. When my wife got married to me, it was a beautiful day for her and for me and for me and for me. I save all these for the second service. You had to do something when you got married to me. There was a first step, and that first step was change your name. You went from Leanne Padgett to Leanne Rampula. And what that was is it was, it was an understanding so that other people knew that we were now in unity together. We were in one. And we remember we would have to go to the bank, and we have to change the bank, and we had to change your, your license, and all these things had to be changed because now your name changed. See, when you get married, things change. What else happens? Well, people view you differently. And hopefully, when you got a new name, you also don't live the same way you used to live before. You're no longer on Bumble or, or Twitch or Twitter or whatever. What was the place that people go? I don't know. Not Twitter. Well, maybe you shouldn't be on Twitter. I don't know. Tinder, thank you. Who knew that? Don't say that out loud. Was that you, Jake? Anyway, the point of it was, Jake did find his wife on Match. Okay, Match.com. Okay. You can't keep going to those places once you get married. You can't keep calling up your ex, DMing people you used to know. When you get married, something changes. You also cohabitate. You live in the same house. Her TV is my TV. My bed is her bed. Things become one. You begin to replicate things, or shall I say, reproduce things. Something changes, and you begin to create little disciples. See, this is the natural progression. When you, listen, the, why am I saying this? Because all throughout Scripture, Jesus likens himself as the groom, and he's coming back for the bride. So what I'm saying to you is this analogy I'm giving you is how we need to be walking our life out with Jesus. It says that he's coming back for a spotless bride. 
And I wonder sometimes, where, when is Jesus coming back? And then I realize maybe the bride isn't spotless. Maybe we have some work to do. Maybe we have to work this thing out with fear and trembling. See, the reality is I love my wife so much that my life demonstrates it. It's not, I, she doesn't tell me every day, you better tell me you love me. You better do these chores. You better, I actually want to do them because I love her. And the moment I stop demonstrating my love to her is the moment she starts to question, did you really truly love me? See, I want to pose this to you today. That I believe that in this church and in the church at large, there are people coming to church that truly have not been saved. And I think we're asking the church to do things that they naturally can't do because they've never truly been sanctified. Listen, if you hang out in the garage long enough, you're still not going to become a car. If you hang out in a church long enough, it doesn't make you a Christian. And the reason why I'm saying this to you today is I feel a fire coming inside of me that I'm starting to preach with a fervency because I believe that these days we have to get this right, church. And we have to understand the full gospel. Yes, there's grace, and yes, there's work. And if you know anything about Jesus, they're both together. So what happens, church, when people who are genuinely changed by Jesus actually put the power of the resurrection into their daily lives? We don't just sit in chairs. We transform the city. We don't just go to work. We look at it as a place for evangelism. We don't just go to school. We walk through the hallways declaring God's goodness in the schools. We don't just live with our spouses, but we believe that God's put us together to transform the city and our children that live in our home. See, I'm telling you right now, there's work to be done, church, and you have a calling on your life. And if you sit here and we continue to get fat by the things we see and be entertained by the things that we experience, we go to church and we say, entertain me, pastor. Make me laugh, pastor. Worship team, play my favorite songs. And we're not walking out this salvation. We're not transforming the city around us. We're just playing church. But it's time, church, to wake up. And I'm telling you, we have been distracted as the church and been lulled to sleep by distractions. I call them Chinese balloons flying around. We're all looking at the sky in a balloon that just slowly goes by. And meanwhile, the enemy's doing things around us. We're all watching the Grammy, seeing Sam Smith essentially do a demonic presentation, and we're all talking about it when you have been given victory and you have been given authority, and there's nothing he did on that stage that I cannot say in the name of Jesus. It's higher and greater than anything the Grammys could ever present. I'm telling you, that's the work that I have. I feel this work bubbling up in my spirit, like not on my watch, not in my nation, not in my town, not in my family, not in my marriage, not in my heart. Man, if James was here, this is how we would preach. Because it's a brand new church, and Peter starts it. And now James is kind of over it, and all of a sudden he's looking around going, you people are already getting crazy up in here. It don't take long for people to mess up the church. And I'm telling you right now, if we don't start to really walk in a deep relationship with Jesus, we're going to be distracted by balloons and presentations, and we're not going to walk in the authority that God has given us to bring down every stronghold and every principality. 
Listen, there's nothing that China's going to do to stop what Jesus is trying to do. I'm telling you right now, you cannot live in a place of fear. You cannot live in a place because what fear does, you want to hear me? Fear demobilizes you. Fear disactivates you. Fear causes you to sit back and worry when authority inside of you says, get out and work. Ooh. So here's what I want to do. I want to leave you with four questions like we did last week. Four different questions. I'm going to give you two minutes. Two minutes. Take a picture of these questions because I believe the Holy Spirit's going to answer these questions. In fact, in the first service, Jesus began to speak to people. They came up to me and shared what they were encountering with Jesus. I believe it's going to happen in this service too. I want you to ask these questions to the Holy Spirit today. What am I believing for that requires action? What are the action steps that Holy Spirit, you need me to take to partner with my faith. And then ask this hard question is, why am I not taking them? Maybe it's, I don't feel smart enough. I haven't known Jesus enough. I don't have the finances to do the things. Whatever that excuse is that's causing you to be like those 11 disciples that stayed in the boat, they're excuses. Why aren't you stepping out in radical obedience to the faith that you have? And the bonus question is this, what radical Christ follower faith steps should I be doing as a normal lifestyle? Let me give you some examples of what normal Christian activated Holy Spirit people do. They pray for sick people and they get healed. They prophesy over people and they speak life over them and they encourage them. They develop a culture of prophetic so people can hear from the Holy Spirit themselves. They give generously. They give without people knowing. They just bless people without even taking the credit. They engage in missions and outreach. They travel all over the world, wherever God asks them, including down the street. They spend time and they make time for God to minister to them, to empower them, and to give them their marching orders. This is what Christ's followers do. Thank you so much for listening to this message. Southview Church is a non-denominational, multi-generational, multicultural community of believers passionately pursuing Jesus, family, freedom, and unity in the body of Christ. If you would like to connect with us, visit us at southview.cc and follow us on Facebook and Instagram.